Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is uh, Rob Hirschfeld. Hello, Rob. Hello, Stephen. So it was uh, in the time frame of these podcasts, they always come out in some odd time. I saw Rob last week at the uh, Linux Foundation ONS event, and uh, it was good to catch up with you in person. And uh, of course, Rob, we, we never record podcasts when we're in, por- in person like that, like we should. I, you know, this audio, the audio systems we're using are great. So uh, it's, people, it's want, people to... want the good mic. They don't want the, the bar noise necessarily. Yeah, that, that's true. Well, I have a guest. I'm very excited to have um, Patrick Pusher on. Uh, I've, I've known Patrick for a long time. And uh, the last time we, we did a podcast way back when, when I first joined HP and we were looking at some technology around cloud, uh, Patrick's been around a long time. He is currently the director. I'm reading his fancy title. I love it. It's so long. <laughs> director of Sales and Field Engineering at Clear Blockchain Technologies. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. And you may have one of the longest titles we've ever had. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Hi, Rob. Yeah, I think uh, one that had evangelist in it was probably the only lo- longer one I've ever had. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Uh, I mean, I am impressed. And then your company has a long name too, so that even makes it better. Maybe that should be the, our career goal. Who has the longest title uh, in their career wins? So, Patrick, before we uh, get started and talking about a variety of things, why don't you give us just kind of a quick background about yourself, and then um, we can go from there. Sure, sure. So, um, I'm a I'm a serial startup technologist. Um, uh, Clear is my fifth startup that I've worked with or for. And uh, before that, I spent a decade in what's called infrastructure consulting. And so that was, you know, kind of right around the end of that, that time period is right around the time. So cloud and public cloud became uh, a thing, not quite popular, but a thing. And uh, that really, as an infrastructure guy, that really attracted my attention, kind of always seeking, you know, better ways to, automate what we did, you know, virtualization was kind of the first step that, that gave us so much automation potential. In, in my mind, the public cloud was the next and that really, really grabbed my attention. So everything I did from a startup perspective past 2008 was really uh, cloud focused, if not public cloud focused. And um, Clear is kind of my first uh, pivot from there. Uh, not that cloud isn't a piece in what we're doing, but it's a, it's a departure. So uh, yeah, new things for me, that's for sure. But that's a, that's a little bit about my background. And, and I just, so we can sort of, I, I, I want to walk this a little bit backwards because I, I think it's super interesting to know what pulled you into blockchain technologies. Why, why, yeah. Do you think you know how how's that going to work? <laughs> I mean, I, I I I'm sometimes a blockchain skeptic, sometimes I'm an enthusiast. Um, but it's it's more fun if I start from the skeptic angle. So what what made you pull into that shiny shiny part of the internet? Yeah, it, it's a good question. Shiny is a really good good way to describe it because I think I think shiny is what attracted me to public cloud in the first place. You know, I I saw this sort of real greenfield opportunity. The difference in, in, in clear in that is that it was still very infrastructure focused, right? It was all about uh, new and better ways to do things, but it was it was super disruptive. You know, back in sort of 2008 when I began working with it, there was you know still a ton of skepticism and, and, and lack of knowledge. And, you know, we were doing just as much education as, as sort of salesmanship back in, in those days at the startups I worked with, right? And 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 I think that's the similarity with, with blockchain is just how, how new and disruptive and potentially 
revolutionary it is. That's the similarity. It's not really a technical one at all. It's more about the impact, I think. And so, uh, like you, I, I, I wasn't necessarily looking for an opportunity in, in, in a blockchain startup. I was very uh, startup focused coming out of uh, out of the Dome 9 acquisition with Checkpoint. You know, I, I was always kind of... Uh, decided to go back and, and uh, uh, focus on on startups, so that's what I did. Uh, what wasn't planned was, you know, this this sort of uh, clear blockchain phenomenon that I found. And I think um, uh, what we're doing has really made me much less of a skeptic. Right? We've got people actually using the solution we've built. Uh, you know, it's not in a, a shippable production. Uh, a kind of uh, a format quite yet. We're working very quickly to get it there. But what drew me to clear was the actual practical application of what they're doing and, and the fact that people are actually using the technology today. So what are what are some practical applications? Where, do, where would you see blockchain as being a slam dunk? It's a good question. I think where wherever um, you have the 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 need to transact with parties who don't necessarily trust each other i think blockchain is a is a great solution um you know i read about something yesterday and, and i don't remember the vendors involved but it was a blockchain solution in, in a third world country where you know they were giving basically the digital equivalent of food stamps out to uh out to refugees and you know they can take these digital tokens to a number of uh of vendors who wouldn't necessarily have an interest in cooperating with each other for any other reason but because they have this uh a uh, trust based trust based uh, a blockchain solution where you know a, a token is a token is a token no matter where you go and there's and there's transparency it seemed like a drop dead obvious solution for me you know what we're doing it at clear is um is we found some success inside a telco where you know if you're transacting to the tune of you know, millions and millions of records uh, uh, a minute or even a second. If you're one of the tier one uh, telcos, right? If I'm if I'm dialing here from Canada to my office in Israel, I am transcending a number of of carriers that take that voice traffic, and and each of them are involved in a in a fairly elaborate transaction that today is done far too manually. And so, what we've done at Clear is built this blockchain solution where. Um, you know these these once competitors have an interest in participating on on a on on a network connected together with a blockchain based solution now there's an asterisk here right blockchain isn't the only piece of this uh it's a key piece but there are other uh you know there are smart contracts there are uh peer to peer communications um there's blockchain based communications there are peer registries there's there's lots to the solution but you know where at one time we thought having uh, competitive peers on a network would be a concept that would never be entertained. I think blockchain has instilled the confidence in in people to participate. Well, we've seen it happen firsthand to participate in you know in, in such a sort of a, a configuration. So the solution we built has been around you know settling these massive number of transactions from one carrier to another, um, settling uh, uh, smart contracts, uh, moving into the side of sort of fraud detection. Right, it's kind of the next obvious. Uh, move, I guess, once you're talking about uh, uh, the settlement of these wholesale minutes or or bytes, if you're talking about data, but uh, that's the space we're in. That's interesting. So, I mean, what you're what you're describing to me is a transformation in commerce, right? Where we're moving away from centralized authorities into distributed authorities, and blockchain is is really just a reflection of you know peer to peer commercial transactions, trusted peer to peer commercial transactions. It, 
I mean, the way you're describing it, it's not, it doesn't sound as disruptive. I mean, it, it is, I, I don't want to downplay, downplay it, but it's much more of an evolutionary change in commerce from the way you're describing it here. Yeah. And I think that's purposeful, right? We, we look for technology that is disruptive in itself, but then how do we apply that? How do we apply that today? Where can we take that and fit it into a problem space that, you know, that we can see today? And, and, and to be 100%, no pun intended, clear, um, telco wasn't necessarily uh, uh, where we looked first. You know, there's a, a bit of the the, the the pedigree, the founder DNA is in digital advertising, and that's actually the first market that Clear sort of looked at. But and it's not that that was abandoned, but in in searching for problems that that blockchain made sense for, you know, telco was an obvious find. And since then, it's really been, hey, you know, let's listen to the industry. And there's a you know there, there, there's a bunch of things. There's voice traffic. There's uh, international roaming. There with five G. There's a bunch of new you know, bandwidth on demand, there are a bunch of services that'll make this transacting problem worse, not better. You might read that telco is a shrinking industry, and I think in the traditional sense, that's true. But you know, what a shrinking industry does is try to reinvent itself with, you know, new products and services. And 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 transacting in a in a carrier-to-carrier way isn't going away, right? And so we're looking at how do we it's 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 exceptionally manual. I think the only the only more manual uh, process I know is in shipping. I, I was surprised to learn years ago that you know shipping, at least by sea, you know the big kind of she, uh, sea shipping containers, that's still a business done on paper. Hard to believe, but it is. And so you know, I mean that that's an extreme example on one side of the continuum, right? If we look at telco, they are quote unquote, and and you're probably as sick as I am on how abused this term is. They're digitally transformed, but they're still a ton of opportunity for, you know, automation on, on the, on the contract and settlement side. Right. And, and so I, it sounds like one of the things that you're, you're saying is that we should be targeting these places where there's a series of transactions that cross multiple entities and that that becomes a pretty logical place from a, from a blockchain distributed ledger concept, right? That's sort of the natural yeah. home. From that perspective, yeah, I think so. And and what you described exactly is sort of, or, or at least one of the uh, uh, the things you described was a traditional supply chain, right? A, a bunch of dissimilar organizations kind of working in unison for a shared goal. I mean, think about you know an automobile is an extreme example in terms of the different sort of parts and where they come from and how they get assembled. It, it's it's a logistical nightmare, and I think when there is the need for you know, dissimilar organizations to work together. I think blockchain's a you know a dead ringer. It, it's not to say it, it won't be used in other really interesting ways, but I think today, if we're looking for a practical application, that's a that's an obvious one. Yeah, it, it's almost sad to me because it feels like when we started with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, um, which was you know it, it captured a lot of headlines, but it really distracted us from much more pragmatic. Uh, uses of a distributed ledger where we were basically you know, sharing information between a, a relatively small number of parties who had, you know, some commercial interest in the data being accurate. Um, we're, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I'm underestimating the, the advantages of, you know, some of blockchain's original intent, which was to hide, hide the, you know, the allure of hiding transactions and being able to exchange currency without, without, um, in a trusted way without without government supervision mm -hmm. and, and so yeah. it, 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 it it feels to me like the hype the hype around blockchain and, and its confusion with cryptocurrencies the use cases that you're describing are really much more um 
pragmatic. They are. They're pragmatic, but there's analogies, right? When we look at we look at transacting without government supervision in a big public kind of Bitcoin example, we take that to a a private blockchain. And that's what I call kind of an industry specific one, like like we've built with Telco, and and instead of no government supervision, we kind of think of that as no central authority, no place where all of this trade specific data. I mean, if if Telco rate sheets were somehow available to all of all of their competitive partners, that would be an absolute disaster. But that's what would have to be, you know, to build a system like we've built with, with this blockchain-enabled technology, that would have to be centralized somewhere. And all that data have to, would have to exist, you know, in, in a service. You know, not necessarily one location, but in a service. And when I think about the security implications of that, you know, that, that's where I think this, uh, this really shines, is that we've now got this distributed system where we don't have to have trust in that central central you know uh, authority so it, uh, although yes i think you know very pragmatic and we thought about where this fits all, all the analogies to bitcoin and sort of what's what's made that popular are there it's an interesting analogy and, and one of the reasons why extending what you're saying to one of our favorite topics which is edge uh, edge technology edge infrastructure uh, you know you said a key word to me which is zero trust um, and you know we're trying to figure out actually let me let me try and ask this as a question Right. Does, does blockchain allow us to figure out how to interact with something that, you know, we should be able to trust, but we're not sure. And it gives us some confidence with that or at least some negotiation uh, to establish confidence. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we have the same challenge as we think about how does how does fraud or how can fraud or how might fraud um, uh, be impacted by by blockchain, right? And and we think about this idea of of identity and, and authenticity. You know, part of the things, and, and let's draw this somehow to the to, to the edge scenario you mentioned. Part of the challenge we have in telco are are fraudulent activities where you know we talked about if I make a call to my office in Israel, it transcends many carriers. There is a there's a fraudulent uh, method where a carrier can take traffic and instead of passing it on to the next transit carrier, they can route it to some cheap VoIP, VoIP provider on the internet or or what's called you know a, a, a SIM box, a, a local uh, a device that's got SIM cards and you know cheap plans in it. And, and sort of route it, you know, in a, in a less quality way, yet still charge me the same rate. With blockchain, we're finding ways where we can sort of tokenize the start of traffic. And everywhere along where that traffic should be judged for authenticity, we provide that, that, uh, that, that token of authenticity, right, maintained and documented on the blockchain. And I see no reason why you couldn't do the same thing kind of in an edge scenario, right? Are you the device that, that you say you are? Yes, well, prove it to me. Prove it to me in a, in a cryptographically kind of secure way. And I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds to me like one of the things that you do need is a, you know, there's crypto, cryptographic security, but there's also, you know, you do need trusted parties with this. And, and I, I was reading something about blockchain talking about, you know, you know, a relationship with your bank, a relationship with, um, you know, your employer, a relationship with some other trusted provider, um, at, that those would be like anchor points for a much broader, uh, trust relationship. And so you, you, know, you might not trust, you know, the merchant you're you're interacting with, but you do trust your bank. Your bank can vouch for them, and so we we basically are can train chain the trust together, and then use cryptography to sort of say the chain is is valid. Is that a is that a sort of a reasonable way to look at it? I think it is, and I think how much you you have to trust peers on that blockchain network depends a little bit on what you're doing on it, right? I think we're to your point earlier, we're we're a little bit tainted by you know 
coupling blockchain and, and, and Bitcoin. But, you know, at Clear, we've we sat back and said, OK, you know, you're limited by kind of the slowest node in a blockchain network in a lot of ways. Um, this is why many people refer to the fact that, you know, transacting every transaction on a blockchain in, in certain scenarios, in many scenarios, may be too slow. For us, what we decided to do was um, uh, communicate in, in an initial state, sort of peer-to-peer, um, in, in still, in, in let's call it a blockchain light sort of ways, using same, many of the same mechanism and protocols, but then referring only to the main blockchain when there is a, truly a dispute. Now, this is obviously different than uh, traditional this blockchain. Is, this is like a charting. This, this is a, a sharding style. It is. Yeah, it but... is. It's a, a, and and it's absolutely. Um, and, and there's actually a third layer that's more of kind of a shared file system layer, um, that all kind of stacks up to being able to, um, you know, accomplish different things at different layers. And for us, you know. One of the reasons dissimilar organizations, competitors, if you will, want to participate on the same network is our assurance that what gets done on the public blockchain layer is, you know, is 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 done in a in a cryptographically secure way. Um, uh, the the information is limited, uh, but you know, it, it's that balance, right? I, I think we get a little bit too tied into how we've seen blockchain uh, deployed and used today, and maybe not thinking about you know how we do this. And this is why I referred to earlier kind of in the, in the introduction. It's not all about blockchain, right? It's about how do we provide enough assurance to uh, uh, particip participants on this network that their data will remain secure, yet the uh, uh, resolution trust verification mechanisms that we employ, um, you know, will work and, and, and will persuade participants to um, play nicely. Well, and this this to me is is where... You know the, the the blockchain story is evolving, and 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 it's easy for people to sort of you know write it off as a hype cycle. But it's you know the way you're describing it, the way you're pursuing it, is is very different, right? You're actually working in use cases where there is a specific need for a distributed trust relationship, where we have a ledger of transactions that need to be shared, and then you're saying, all right, how do we make it fast? How do we make it lightweight? How do we deal with you know, cryptographic capabilities so that we we actually can trust these pieces. Those those straight I mean that's the conversation we're having. It's it's not about um you know how how do we how do we encrypt things in Ethereum and is Ethereum gonna you know, burst or bubble or you know holder or whatever you want to play it. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah for us we mean I mean we 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 built a, a a layer in an API which makes the the actual blockchain technology substitutable. Right. We're, we're, we're not quite there yet. That's the vision. That's where we're driving, where, you know, it's, what we do is Ethereum based today, but that can change. And, and to your point, I think that's exactly the how we're thinking about this is, OK, how do we build a, an enterprise focused product? And this is part of the reason I think I was attracted to clear. I'm an enterprise guy. I always have been. I really didn't spend any time in, in sort of small business IT. My the start of my career back when I was 19, kind of quickly thrust into enterprise IT. So I've always spoken that language, right? And, and so for me, finding a startup that was squarely focused on an enterprise customer is challenging, right? As you know, the ARC is build an MVP, find a, you know, find a developer focused audience that can really embrace it. And then, you know, s slowly kind of uh, uh, build that product to attract an enterprise audience. Well, at Clear, just by virtue of, uh, of the enterprise we're driving towards, um, you know, we, we're starting on the enterprise side and, and that really attracted me, as did 
the the pragmatic approach, right? Let's let's do away with the 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 shine and sexiness of blockchain, and let's use it where it makes sense. But let's not be afraid to build a solution that you know that, that's on top of it or complementary to it as part of the overall way way that we deliver a a, a service. Makes sense. And so when when you think, and, and I, I'm, one of the things I, I do want to tie tie us back to because you 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 just came out of a out of a out of a company. Um, that was was very SaaS, uh, also you know had right. a security component to it. Um, how do you compare? And I'll let you talk about that in a second. But but what makes an enter- enterprise you know different? How do how do you how do you go transition from a SaaS play into something that's that's really you know customer owned? Yeah, yeah, it is it is a little bit different. Although I think customer owned what that means is changing as well of course and when you think about the idea of of of, of cloud computing but yeah it, it definitely is different you know the the saas product cycle to um uh the saas uh, from a customer experience the saas evaluation cycle very very different uh you know you're speaking of of, of where i just came from in terms of dome 9 security being a a, a saas a public cloud only saas security product um, you know how you experience that as a, as a Dome Nine prospect, even how you roll it out, uh, is a very different kind of um, is a very different kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think you made the the the, the comment as we as we started that it's almost like um, you know, sort of going backwards. And in some ways, from a SaaS perspective, it is. In other ways, you know, obviously we're we're using technology that's that's very very different. Now, I should say many of the deployments that that Clear uh, customers are doing are sort of public cloud you know, based. So we're talking about, you know, Amazon or Azure deployments, typically a little bit of a GCP as well. So from that perspective, you know, customer owned, yes, customer data center, n- no, uh, you know, n- not SaaS, but, but, but not traditional data center either. So we see more and more, even on a, on a, an application that has a, a high amount of data sensitivity, we see more and more willingness, if not interest to, to sort of go that route. So, you know, some, some similarities and certainly I think, how is drawn to clear was the security angle, um, but yeah, you know, we 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 sort of uh, move from a SaaS deliver product to sometimes an on-prem installed piece of software, sometimes a cloud-hosted piece of software. But I suppose that's that's really everything now. Uh, one of the one of the questions we love to explore with this is right: is software dead? Is are we only going to be able to do a SaaS business? Um, Stephen and I just recorded the hundredth show about that. Um, I mean. Here's the balance, right? You, you, your, do your customers, and for this type of transaction, which are distributed transactions, do your customers need to have the control to to manage the systems themselves, or can could they delegate it to a SaaS? Um, yeah, I don't think it's a matter of control. You know, I don't think there's anything that you know a UI or an API can accomplish, and of course, it doesn't really matter. In fact, you know, getting getting a workload in your in your sort of traditional data center uh, exposed to the edges a lot more work than doing that on the public cloud, right? So I think it's it, it's the um, proximity to data that might be the biggest challenge, right? And in, in the current kind of uh, uh, telco deployment, maybe this isn't as big of an issue, but if you're actually settling, you know, large amounts of data, um, you know the, the the engine may need may need to see that and and you know we get as close to real time as we can so Clear's got you know APIs where you can sort of feed that data in that might be the biggest challenge is you know getting close to that data and if that that data 
isn't in the cloud, then you know having the solution there, you know, is kind of a non-starter. With with our perspective, that's the biggest challenge. Well, and it's, it strikes me that if you're looking to do distributed, you know, a distributed ledger, you can't say I'm in Amazon and optimize for Amazon. You're you're dealing with the platforms that are in field. Um, is that a, is that sort of a fair base from that perspective? Yeah. Absolutely. If you're talking about Amazon, it wouldn't be using the, the the service catalog, right? You wouldn't be using blockchain as a service. You'd be, you know, building nodes, hosting them as VMs in Amazon, like you'd be hosting them as, as VMs in, in your data center, right? But yeah, it's a, that, that's right. You'd be working on top of the platforms that are there. Yeah. At, at some point, I know Amazon did a big um, blockchain announcement from a SaaS perspective. I mean, did, yeah. is, is trust so important here, though, that we end up with, you know, a, a you know, a mega company basically providing the root trust for all these chains, or is that, which strikes me as straight back to the thing that we were trying to avoid. <laughs> yes, it, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I don't yeah. see that as the evolution. I don't, because, you know, I think crypt cryptographically, if we're signing certificates, we're signing certificates, right? Where they come from, where they live is almost inconsequential. You know, maybe there will be a blockchain as a service one day that I think is the is the clear winner. I do think potentially. I mean, it's a it's a lot of a lot of years away, but but I see a, a continuum where you know the software we run in house dwindles away to almost nil, where the software we use as a service you know grows and grows and grows. We, we've seen that grow. We've seen that trend continue. I don't see any reason why it you know wouldn't. I think infrastructure as a service is is even potentially maybe even a stopgap. Uh, you know, a, a one that's going to exist for a long time. But you know, that's where I think I see. Uh, IT headed. So uh, I think blockchain is a. Sir, go ahead. Yep. So I was just going to say, does that mean there's no more software startups? Does software die? We'll just add this in. Does software <laughs> die because if everything is running as a service and everyone's building on APIs from the big public clouds, um, if you were creating a software company, where, what would you create other than using those services? And then it's, I guess it's object oriented programming coming to real life, maybe. And I should look at it that way. Yeah, and, and let's be clear, right? I, I I use that sort of dwindling word on purpose. I'm not sure there's a day where there's there's no software installed where you don't need a data center at all. I'm not sure that that you know that that situation exists. But you know, I just see this this continuing kind of shift like we see now. And you know, if if I'm looking at a, a at the software startup landscape, I'm thinking about a tool or capability maybe that was done on prem that that isn't done properly as a service yet. I'm thinking about uh, add-ons to ecosystems. Ecosystems are one of the things I think about when, uh, in SaaS the most, right? Think about the products we use and it, uh, I'll just about, and I use this just about because I'm embarrassed to say it, I will, I will use an inferior product if the ecosystem has way more options. I don't know about you guys, but you know, if I have five less capabilities over here, but I've got an ecosystem of, of 30 vendors that build additional solutions for me, whereas on the other side, I don't, that, that has a lot of value for me. And that's something in a, in a SaaS world that's, that's really unique. I think that's one of the reasons we're driven there so much. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I see it work. So Patrick, that means the big giant monopolies that run those massive platforms right now essentially can't be pushed out. Because you just made a great thing, because if we look at the Apple announcement that just happened, right, Apple's success is because people just stay in their ecosystem. And so you're there already. So how do you break that? Have we broken, have we broken it in the data center, though? I no, mean, we're talking sure. about infrastructure here. 
right? I, I know we're also talking a little bit about services. The line gets blurry, but in terms of infrastructure, right, that's not that's that's Cisco or Juniper or or, or or F5, right? There are there are vendors that sell me devices and support for those devices. That's the equivalent on the infrastructure as a service side. On okay. on the software as a service side, I guess the next leap is what you're asking about, right? So so Patrick, I mean, to me, what there, there's two pieces with this that you're describing because if, if everything goes to SaaS, we either are going to all be one vendor, and it's just going to be a giant SaaS, not not as much of an ecosystem. They're going to provide everything. Or if it's an ecosystem, we're going to be bouncing our, you know, data, our, our company, our, our customers' data through a whole bunch of these SaaS vendors, which then translates into a distributed trust relationship. And you're going to have to actually ha be able to at, uh, at a state that the API call, and, and this is this to me is maybe in the nice wrap up. Here is your phone conversation, but from an API perspective. Because I make an API call and it transits across twenty different vendors to yeah. be completed. Is that is is that where you know software is going in your opinion? I really I think it is. But you mentioned data, and that is that's the challenge. I think that's not that's why we're not here today, and that's not, that's why this isn't even faster. I mean, it's it's happening at at, at absolutely brazen speed. But you know, the the data is the challenge. I've got, you know, um, I, I don't necessarily buy into the single vendor theory, right? If it's SaaS, it's I'm still going to you know find my CRM solution. I'm still going to buy my Office 365. You know, I'm going to have a number of products that I use that I use as a service. But how do I get you know, if, if I have no kind of central place where my data lives, if I have no data center presence, how do I get the data to flow through all of those services, right? It has to exist somewhere centrally. And certainly all those services then have to be accessible by API, to your point, Rob. I yeah. think that's where it's headed. I just, you know, the the the, the data gravity problem, I know that's a, probably a familiar term. I don't think it's necessarily been Our solved for that. For, for, yeah. Exactly. For that, you know, ultimate, ultimate SaaS world panacea, let's call it. Well, data gravity always reappears. Okay, Rob, this is it. I yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm putting my skeptical hat back on. I, I think blockchain is an important answer for these these problems. Uh, but Patrick, I, I, it feels to me like we're creating redundant information in a whole bunch of application silos, um, which is what a distributed blockchain is. So I guess two thumbs up from uh, that prediction. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I think, Patrick, what we'll do in six, nine months, we'll have you on again and and talk about this when the market. We've had, on occasion, we've had several blockchain people come on and stuff, and I think it's good for us to continue having these podcasts as the technology advances. So um, hopefully we can bring you back in, a, in a, you know six months or so and, and see where it is then and, and have a better understanding of the technology. I would love to do that. I'm I'm four weeks deep at Clear, so you know, in, in six months, this will be a whole different conversation. So yeah, I'd love to do that, Stephen. <laughs> you you did a great job on blockchain for four weeks in. I'm impressed. Thank you, thank you, Rob. Well, hey, both you guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast, Patrick. It's great to uh, catch up and um, get your thoughts on uh, technology as usual. It's outstanding, and uh, I thanks both of you. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you.